Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, I have a message from God for you. When we begin a new year, we need to know something that God wants us to do for a new beginning. This morning, you heard in the beginning of our worship time, a passage from Isaiah that God wants to do something new in our lives. How many of you need something new done in your life? Raise your hand. How many of you leave some things? You need to leave some things back in 2021. How many with me, you're leaving COVID back in 2021, 2020, and every place else that we could leave it along the way? Well, each year gives us an opportunity to reflect on the valleys and the victories of the previous year. In the last 20 months, since March 2020, incredible change has happened to our country and to our world. But I want to ask you a question. Do you think any of this has caught God by surprise? Of course not. But just as God has a plan, the enemy has a plan as well. So I want to ask you a question. What is the enemy's plan? What is the enemy's plan? And what is the way that he is executing that plan? Many of you know that before I became a pastor 23 years ago, and we founded our Savior's Church, Michelle and I, with a wonderful group of people that are here, that I was a youth evangelist speaking in public schools to more than 2 million students and youth conferences of every denomination you can imagine. And I used to stand up and speak to parents. And here's what I would say. You're going to find this shocking. I would say the world is brainwashing your children. The world is remolding your children's way of thinking. And I would say, you know how I know that? This is going to shock you. I would say, because they're watching TV two hours per day on average. You know why you're laughing? Because the recent surveys reveal that the average person stares at a TV, phone, computer, or computer tablet for up to eight hours per day. One expert exclaimed, we watch a screen more than we do sleep. What's happened? And how has the enemy used that? We've exchanged fantasy for reality. We've exchanged stimulation and simulation for an actual experience. The choices that give consequences at the end. How many of you can see this clearly? Raise your hand. Okay. All the young people aren't raising their hand. That's okay. Five years from now, you're going to be, or 20 years from now, you're going to be looking at your children going, do you know that the average person used to watch eight hours per day when they're watching 12 hours per day? And you're going to go, the same look. All of this increasingly reminds us of something. Jesus is coming soon. Let me say that again. Jesus is coming soon. When I came to Christ in 1971, I thought Jesus was going to come next week. I thought the rapture was going to come. How many of you know what the rapture is? When Jesus comes and takes away all of his followers. We used to be, in our youth group, we used to have rapture practice. They'd stand up and go, okay, are you ready? Practice. And, and we'd jump 
emulating what was going to happen when Jesus came to get us. I read something recently that said, normal is not coming back, Jesus is. And he is. So how is the enemy implementing his strategy? Well, we don't have to question. Jesus tells us. In John 10, 10, Jesus says this, the thief comes only in order to and, and, as Dr. Darius says, this isn't three descriptions of the same thing. This is three progressions. Three progressions. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. In this last season, many have lost their lives with COVID. That's the kill. That's the tragic kill. But what has the enemy stolen during this season? If his strategy is to steal and kill and to destroy, how many of you know when you see fear and division and death, you don't have to question who's behind it? Just like when you see peace and joy and love and unity, the enemy has used this season to divide. Listen carefully to me. Jesus called us to build a church that looks like heaven. Black, brown, white, mixed. If you're prejudiced, this is not your church. Because the church that Jesus founded only sees one color, and that's red when the blood of Jesus covers you and washes you and makes you brand new as his child. I want to say this again. If you're white and you're prejudiced, this is not your church. If you're black and you're prejudiced, and you're, this is not your church. If you're a Mexican and I'm the only one here, you're talking to a pastor that is a Mexican and I have a white wife and a black adopted daughter. I am a gumbo. What has the enemy stolen? What if I would have told you in March of 2020, let's say February of 2020, suppose I would have told you that in the next 20 months, 50 to 60% of people who went to church regularly are going to stop going. What would you have said? You're lying. What are they going to do? Are they going to put a gun to people's head? Are they going to give them the mark of the beast? What is it, pastor, that you think is going to make? I don't believe that. Across America, anywhere from 40 to 70% of people that attended church regularly before March of 2020 no longer attend church almost irregularly or at all. I want to say that again. Over 50% of the people that regularly attended the house of God, the place of worship, no longer attend. We know that many were killed with COVID, but has the enemy stolen the Sabbath? For some, it is a health issue. 
For some, many of you are watching online and you're driving home or, or maybe this is your last day of hunting. We don't have a five o'clock service anymore and that's where you are. I, this service is designed online for exceptional moments. It's not designed, online is not designed to be your only spiritual experience unless you're in jail. And then when you get out, we want to welcome you right here. So pastor, how can you say that? Well, it used to be an issue of health when we started in March of 2020, but now it's become a habit for many. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? They still go to the mall. They still go to baseball games. People that can't make it to church, they still make it to the Saints games. Who that ain't going to be in church? Me, me. They still make it to LSU games. They still make it to basketball games. They still make it to their soccer games, dance practices, uh, the grocery store. It hasn't stopped them from doing everything else. COVID just killed the Sabbath. So does Sunday no longer belong to God? Has COVID killed the Sabbath? Does Sunday now belong to us and not God? Has the church become another media screen event? Let me ask you a question. Do we really need to stare at another screen? Of course not. What would Jesus want us to do in 2022? How many of you can see clearly everything I just described? That's how the enemies use this season. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Of course he has. Of course he has. Look, look at me. I, I want you to hear very carefully what I'm saying. It is a privilege and an honor to be your pastor. It is a privilege and an honor to be your pastor. And it is based upon that privilege that I'm speaking to you like a father would to his children that he loves. I want you to know what the enemy's doing. That's what a shepherd's job is to do. Hey, there's the wolf. Let me keep you away from him because if he isolates you all by himself and you get away from the shepherd and you get away from the flock, then it's you and the wolf and he wins every time. And that's exactly what has happened in this last season. What would Jesus want us to do? I got great news. We don't have to guess. He left us clear instructions. Number one, he would want us to follow his example. Jesus created the WWJD bracelet. Here's the second thing that we want us to do is obey his word. How many of you know you don't have to worry about what the will of God is? The will of God is the word of God. Does God want you to love your wife? You don't know my wife, pastor. No, but I know what the word says. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. No, if you knew Clotilde, she got vampire teeth. I don't care. God knew she had vampire teeth and God still said love her. You don't know my husband. He's from Coda Homes. They're demon-possessed people in Coda. Wait, I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't some demonized people in Coda Homes, but the Bible says that God made him the leader of your home. I don't want to forgive, Pastor. There's people that have done stuff to me I can never forgive. Well, the Bible says that you need to forgive just as God has forgiven you. I don't have to pray about any of those things. The Word of God is the will of God. Say that with me. 
The word of God is the will. In New Iberia, the word of God is the will of God. In Broussard, the word of God is the will of God. In Midtown, the word of God is the will of God. In Old Town, the word of God is the will of God. And in Lafayette, Louisiana, the word of God is the will of God. What would Jesus want us to do? Well, here is his example concerning church. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Dr. Luke writes, and when he came to Nazareth where he had grown up, he went into the, that was their church, as he always did on, Jesus went to church on the Sabbath and he was Jesus. He was Jesus. If Jesus went to church on the Sabbath, Shouldn't we? So why have people stopped coming to church? Why have people stopped coming to church? And again, I want you to hear my heart. I'm speaking to you as a father to his children. This is not scolding. This is loving. You know how you can tell the difference between people that are your children and people that aren't? When your kids are in the front yard and they start doing something foolish and you go, y'all get up in here. Somebody getting spanking. Your kids come to the house, the other kids run to somebody else. So I want you to hear what I'm going to share with you, and I want you to hear it in the heart in which I'm sharing it. Here is why people have stopped coming to church. Number one, convenience over commitment. Each week we have people that drive from Gaydon, Louisiana. Gaydon. I've been and visited in their home. There are people that live way out in the country. You think the wind's bad in your neighborhood? If you think the wind's bad at Sugar Mill Pond? Can you imagine what it's like in the country? And they are here every single time the door is open. What's the difference? It's called commitment. Recently, a mover was helping me move into our home three years ago. And, and, and I, I knew of him and, and he knew of me and he, he came over the house and he's moving things and he, he's moving into things into the other house. And he goes, you know, pastor, I'm a member of your church. I said, really? Well, what, what, what campus do you go to? He said, oh, I don't. I said, well, um, well, what pastor do you know? He goes, just you. I said, well, um, where do you give? He said, I don't. I said, well, thank God we don't have a church full of people like you. There wouldn't be a church or a pastor support to be able to have church. Your children are watching what you are committed to. Children often fail to listen to their parents, but they seldom fail to imitate them. How many of you grew up going to church? It didn't. You didn't come to church like this, but you went to church. I mean, mama, papa, somebody was going to church. And you were going to be pinched in church. And slapped or thumped in the ear in church. How many of you came? You went to church because Sunday belonged to God. And even if those people didn't have a relationship with God like you do, they knew who Sunday belonged to. It belonged to God. Commitment picks up where convenience leaves off. Of course, it's easier to stay in bed. Of course, it's easier to get some coffee and to stay in bed and turn the TV on. 
And again, there are exceptional moments, and that's why we have online experience for people that need exceptions. But it should not be the norm, and it's not a replacement. You don't go to a virtual family reunion every weekend. Hi, Clotilde, here I am. Look right here. Of course not. Here's the second reason. Pleasure versus pressure. It's not easy to show up, to serve, to join a small group, to be a part of the dream team, to give unselfishly, to serve in nursery, children's church. It, it, it takes pressure. You got to get up. You got to get the children's stuff ready. You got your stuff ready. You, you, you do that for everything that is a value to you, whether it's dancing, whether it's baseball, soccer, football, school. I'm amazed at the parents that go, you know, I came, I didn't bring my kids. Wow, you know, I don't want to force it on them. Do they get that same choice for school? Do they get that same choice for dinner? You're afraid they'll not come to church. Are you afraid they're going to stop eating? Of course not. Of course not. Is this okay? Anybody mad at me yet? Well, God, I got some more time to go. What do we do in moments when Jesus is coming and times are dark like this? Do you know God's word tells us? 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 says, but you need to be aware that in the final days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce. People will be lovers of, obsessed with, they will boast of great things. They will strut around in their own arrogant pride. They will mock all that is right. They will ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful and ungodly. Does this sound like us yet? This generation. They will become addicted to hateful and malicious slander, slaves to their own desires. They will be ferocious, belligerent haters of what is good and what is right with brutal treachery. They will act without restraint, bigoted, wrapped in clouds of conceit. Now read this with me. They will find their delight in the, in the what? Pleasures of this world more than what? Hedonism is believing that the chief end of life is your pleasure. Either you will live for the pleasure of God or for your own self-pleasure. Can I tell you this? The greatest peace in your life has come when you've lived for the pleasure of God. The greatest peace in your life has come where you've sacrificed and served someone else and not yourself. We were created to live for the pleasure of God and we are most fulfilled and happy when we do. Here's the third thing. The third reason why people stop coming to church is self over Sabbath. First mean a lot to God. Tithing is giving the first 10%. Why? Because you give first to the person that you honor and love the most. The actual Sabbath in biblical times was on what day? It was on Saturday. Do you know why we celebrate on Sunday and it's called the Lord's Day? Do you know why? Because on Sunday, he rose from the dead. If Jesus rose from the dead to save you, do you think you can rise from the bed and come to church and receive what he has for you? Listen, pleasure has replaced the priority of pleasing God. 
rest, fishing, beach, soccer, hunting, camping, pleasure. Isn't it amazing? You go, I can't make it to church, but you can get up at 3.30 in the morning, pull out a pair of waders, walk out in the middle of a blizzard, march through the swamp, swim out to get you a duck like a retriever, bite it with your mouth, bring it back, and you happy and paid $500 to do that. I love hunting as much as anybody in this room, actually more than most people in this room. It is one of my few pleasures that I have that I I love hunting. I love my home. I love my children. I love things. I love people. But I love my God more than I love anything in the entire world. And he's first. That doesn't diminish it. Let me tell you this. In 13 days, I will have been married 40 years. You say, Pastor, how do you do that? I'm going to tell you in February, but I'm going to tell you how I do that. Because I love God far more than I love Michelle. I love God to hear. I love Michelle to hear. And because I love him to hear, I love her as much as a man could possibly love a woman. She benefits from that. God knows what's in my mind. God knows my thoughts. God knows my heart. Listen to me, women. Listen carefully. There is not a woman alive on earth and walking that can tame the heart of a man. Only God can. Self versus Sabbath. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You will either put self first or you will put the Sabbath first. God first. God gave his son for the church. Christ gave his life for the church. Shouldn't we serve the church? The local church is the hope of the world. It's the hope of the world. Now, how many of you believe that what I'm saying is accurate and timely. Raise your hand. Okay. I want to tell you why I'm not saying this. I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me very carefully. It's not because the church needs money. We're actually doing better financially than we ever have before. You know why? Because as committed believers have seen the great falling away that's happening in the world, they've become more committed to the house of God and to supporting the kingdom of God than ever before. We had 8,000 people March of 2020. Today, an average Sunday is 4,500 people. And guess what? The giving is higher than it was when we had 8,000 people. If today's message is resonating with you, what should we do? Number one, we should respond with repentance. Hey, if you've gradually allowed the house of God commitment to hearing the word? If you've allowed that to not become a priority in your life, hey, just ask God to forgive you and make it right. I'm a Christian. I'm a professional repenter. I got to repent all day long. Anybody here need to ask God to forgive you all day long? Raise your hand. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, I want to live with you for five minutes because you just lied once. You should be repenting now. You say, Pastor, do you do a lot of wrong things? No, but I repent so I don't do a lot of wrong things. Because if you repent when it's here, you don't have to repent when you do it. 
When you get it, when it's a thought, God, forgive me for that thought. Lord, I don't want to wash my heart. Wash me. If you do it there, you don't end up doing it here. The first thing is respond with repentance. Revelations 2, 4. John writes, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how you have fallen. Repent and do your works of love you did at first. Remember when you couldn't wait to get to church? Remember when you couldn't wait to be in worship? When Jesus came into your life? Repentance is a 180 degree turn away from where you were and turning to God. Here's the second thing, reprioritize. Make first things first. If God's the priority of your life, then then say that. And then follow it up with actions. Follow it up with actions. Here's the third thing. Remember those who've been lured away. Jesus told a story in Mark chapter 4 of people who the seed of the word of God would fall into their heart but it would not last. And he says that there are three things that happen to them that keep the word from growing in them. The pressures of this world, persecution for the word of God, and then simply pleasures. That they would love pleasure more than they would love God. Most people who've stopped coming to church, no one put a gun to their head. They put a pillow to their head. No one made them uncomfortable for coming. They just became very comfortable not coming. Bless you and thank you. Here's the fourth thing that we need to do. Reach out to others who've drifted away. Are we responsible for other people that we know that used to be part of a body and come regularly and don't come anymore? Are we responsible to them? Of course we are. Of course we are. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, and let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds, not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction has become the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ return approaching. Do you know the word, the Greek word for church, ekklesia, means the gathering? That's what it actually means. It means the gathering. So I want to answer the final question. What does being a part of walking in church and being a part of a body, what does it do that you can't get at home? What is it going to do that you can't do at home? Here it is. Number one, the entire body comes together. How many of you are glad all your body came with you today? Of course you are. Matter of fact, when some people come in and, and, and their arms are hurt, or you, you see them. They're... When we come together, we become a part of the body of Christ and the full expression of Christ is able to be here in serving and loving and giving in many ways. Matthew 18, 20 says this, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, meeting together as my followers, what? I am. How many of you walk in church when you're drained sometimes and you do and you just feel and worship the presence of God? Come on, raise your hand. How many of you get the free songs? You know what that is? Your spiritual battery is recharging. 
can you pray at home and is God with you? What's the answer to that? But when you are together, you bring the presence of God and 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 you bring the presence of God and, you bring the, and all of a sudden I go from being lonely and empty to being filled and encouraged and included. The church at its worst is a business. The church at its best, it's a family. It's a family. I, I watched my wife. I, I wish I could give y'all a peek into our Christmas, Christmas Eve. I wish I could give y'all a peek. My wife is unbelievable. How many of you believe Miss Michelle's beautiful? Listen, my wife, if you would see how she works, for those children when they come walking in that door. She stayed up night after night for weeks till one and two o'clock in the morning, wrapping presents, decorating, hanging every stocking, making sure that everything was right. It was literally, she worked like a mad woman on drugs for weeks. And the payoff came. Christmas Eve dinner after communion when we all gather together and all the children are in and the grandchildren are in. Friends and family are there. And then Christmas morning when, when we open up gifts and before we open up gifts, everyone shares what they're grateful for, starting with the youngest, going to the oldest, and if they speed it up, I take twice as long. And it went on an hour and a half and everyone, even my son who's far from the Lord, is sobbing his eyes out. And God is so touched. And I look back at that beautiful woman, and she's receiving the reward of all those nights up to one and two and three o'clock. That is her payoff. That is her reward. Miss Michelle can work like a Mexican maid and look like a Cajun princess. It's true. Just like her mother who was like that. Just like her grandmother who was like that. Her grandmother was in the same rosary group for 50 years. Same women. Only way you could get out was die. Now that's a prayer group. That'll keep you praying. Well, what does it mean when you're a part of a church family? What do you get? You get a hand and a hug and help when crisis, unfortunately, comes knocking at your door. And it comes. It comes when you find out a loved one has an addiction. It comes when a financial crisis happens or a health crisis. Two weeks ago, 10 days ago, one of the precious families that are in our Christian school in New Iberia at our campus there was driving home from one of our basketball games from the Christian school there. And a drunk man got on I-49 going the wrong direction. They revealed yesterday he had three times the alcohol limit that he should have had. And he got on I-49 going the wrong direction and hit that 
car head on and three family members died just like that. Who do you need then? You need the church. You need help. You need hugs. You need tears. You need money. You need family. You need God. And all of that is found in the church of Jesus Christ. You receive communion here together. You you walk in feeling lonely and you get a handshake and a hug and all of a sudden you feel included. Your children are dedicated here. Your little children are hearing the word of God in nursery and in children's church. Your teenagers, listen carefully to me. My son, Pastor Joseph and Pastor Chris, they get calls all the time. Could you counsel my son? Could you, well, are they in church? No. Oh, aren't they in church? Well, they don't want to come. Listen carefully to me. You have an opportunity while your children are young to get them in children's church and in youth group so that when the cement of their heart is soft, it can have the word of God placed in it. Because when they get older and it hasn't been planted there, their hearts are hard. Their hearts are hard. We want to be your allies in assisting you to raise godly children and grandchildren. Bring them. What else does being a part of a church do? It says to your neighbors and to your friends, you're committed to something. Do do you know your neighbors watch you? Do you know that your neighbors and friends are watching to see, they're watching your example? It says to an unbelieving world, I am committed to something that is bigger than me that's going to last for eternity. Here's my last challenge. Let's take back in 2020 to what the enemy stole in 2020. Some of you that are home and you're watching online and that's become the new norm. Come back home. The family needs you. Come back home. The family's waiting for you. Come back home. We need your body, your hand, and your heart, and God needs it too. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's build what he gave his life for. Would you bow your heads with me a moment? At all of our campuses. Right now, before we go into the next segment, the next four or five minutes, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. This is the perfect opportunity to begin. Jesus said that your spiritual journey begins the moment you're born again. A religious man named Nicodemus came to him and said, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? And he said to him, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. Have have you been born again? The answer to that question determines where you spend eternity, whether you're spiritually alive or not, whether you can receive spiritual truth or not, whether your sins are forgiven or not whether you know the plan and purpose God has for your life or not. That never happens until you're born again. 
You say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. So right now, I'm going to ask and give you the opportunity to begin your 2022 with the beginning of your spiritual journey, being born again, coming into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, knowing your sins are forgiven and discovering God's plan and purpose for your life. It all begins with you turning to Christ, to repentance, to be born again. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. If Jesus said, I must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven today, I want you to pray for me. I want to be born again today. I need to be born again today. One, God brought you here. Nothing is ever an accident. Two, Everything in your life, even this past year, led up to this moment. The guilt that you carry, the fear and insecurity and some shame that you carry. Jesus wants to wash that away from you, but it can only do that if you come and surrender yourself to him. And now's the time. Now's the time for your new beginning. Now's the time for you to be born again. Three, if that's you, lift your hand in this building. Lift it. Lift it high. Yes, 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 yes. All of our campuses, New Iberia, raise your hand. Midtown, raise your hand. Broussard, raise your hand. O-Town, your pastors are looking right now. The last time I'm going to ask, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand, but I came today because I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need a new beginning. I need a fresh start. I've never been born again. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. Pray for me, Pastor. I'm asking this last time for you. Wave it at me. Wave it at me. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, wave it. Yes, I see your hand. Yes. Now, church, you can put your hands down. We're going to join you at all of our campuses praying this prayer for everyone that raised their hand to be born again. We're going to join you. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give every one of those people a big hand?